0: reading of scripture. Psalm 63. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword, and they shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. The word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Danielle. Uh, We have been going through the book of Psalms this summer. And we have seen, uh, you might say, the contours of the Psalms. As we go, there are different things that people were facing when they wrote them. And therefore, they are applicable to different situations in our lives. And so today, we're looking at Psalm 63. Now, um, you might have heard uh, this, that there was a very popular uh, course in Yale University is actually the most popular course in its three-year his three-year, uh, three <laughs> hundred-year history. It was titled r- originally the Science of Well-Being with Dr. Laurie Santos, and it was later retitled and turned into a podcast called Happiness Lab. Uh, in this course, Dr. Santos takes us through different uh, misconceptions about happiness, uh, also some ancient thinkers who thought about happiness, how to get happiness what it means for us today. And it was so popular, the course grew so large, that Yale had to hire fellows from other schools just to staff uh, the class for it to continue to go. So it was one of the most popular, probably the most popular class Yale has ever had. And what does that tell us? It tells us that really all of us, you and I are after happiness. Happiness is something that we want and we really, really want to find it in this life. However, as you heard Danielle pray, there are many things in the world that does not really bring happiness. Um, As a a human race, as a a society, we had just gone through a devastating global pandemic together. Death, illness, sadness, heartbreak. And you have around the world countries and people facing war, natural disaster, and uh, political unrest every kind of suffering that you can imagine. We live in a world where happiness is hard to come by. So how do we? G- where do we go from here? How do we uh, overcome that seeming contradiction? Uh, how do I go forward there? What David's doing here in this psalm, he's offering something to you that's not quite different, but something deeper than happiness. He's offering joy. He's offering you deep, satisfying, undying joy that does not depend on circumstances. Uh, If if you're familiar with David's life, uh, you might be wondering, he's a king, but most of his life he spent running from enemies. Now here, running from his own son, Absalom. He's always worried about people taking away his throne and you know, if that was a king, you say, I don't want to be a king. And it's really, uh, David is a, is a man who is a, a very, very familiar with being in a place where happiness is, can be found. Being in a place where the only thing that he can probably think of in the me- immediate uh, present is, how do I even save my life, let alone be happy? But as we read this psalm, as you think back on it, David's offering something, that we all really want, which is the joy I just mentioned. He's saying that happiness is good, but joy is better. It is better because it does not depend on circumstances or even depend on the shifting feelings that we have in our hearts. It does not come and go. It does not come and go because there's ups and downs in life uh, inevitably. It actually grows. It actually gets deeper and gets more profound and more you might say, precious as you go through those ups and downs times in your life. This joy actually grows through that. So what I want to say and what I want us to learn from this psalm is that we're not to minimize suffering. We're not minimizing the devastating effects of suffering, but we're to learn that it is possible to find joy even in the midst of suffering. It is possible to have this lasting, undying, satisfying satisfying joy even in the midst of suffering. So then how do we get it then? How do we get this, uh, this, this joy? How do we get this joy that even devastating circumstances can take away? We get it by worshiping, meditating, and trusting. So worshiping. Uh, David is, like we, s- we read, is in, in the middle of de- a desert, a wilderness. He is far away, as he said, from the physical tabernacle where God's uh, presence dwells. Remember, David was overjoyed when the, ta- uh, when the tent came into the city. Now, physically, he cannot see God, you might say, as a war, He cannot see God's presence physically represented in the tabernacle. So he is far away from God's pr- uh, presence. All he can see is weariness, barrenness, nothing, really. You know, cold, freezing cold in, at night, if you know desert, and blazing hot during the day. No God, seemingly. But what's really striking, though, is that although his son Absalom is seeking his life, as, as, we, as we know, is really just want to kill him <laughs> on the spot, David, however, is not seeking his son Absalom's life. He begins the psalm with, oh, God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. He says, I am not seeking vengeance here. I am seeking God's presence. I am after God. And that's more difficult than it really you know is easier said than done when uh, as you can imagine in that situation, so what is David doing then he's saying as, as we read here in the beginning that even though he is away from the sanctuary, even though he's away from God's presence physically, he's drawn upon a time where he actually was in the presence of God, having sweet communion with god by f- by faith by faith he's drawing from that experience that he had in the past he's saying that the satisfaction that i i have now is can be found in physical things but i'm thinking back to a time i'm remembering by faith that time when i was in the presence of god in the community of uh, uh the saints worshiping and drawing upon his grace how satisfying that was i'm saying now that i'm doing that have you had that those times with god have you In your reading of the word, in your prayer life, in your daily life, at your work, as you think through the troubles you might be facing, do you have those sweet times of communion with God that you can draw upon? And then David's saying also, you cannot do that. You cannot just draw from uh, your sweet time of communion with God in isolation from something else also added to it which is a lifetime of worship, a posture of worship that goes through all of your life, not just when, it's when trouble strikes you, but when things are good, when, when there's seemingly there's no danger, there's no trouble. David, uh, of course, is saying that uh, in verse three and four, he says, as you uh, look here, says, as long as I live, I, I will I'll bless you. In your name, I will lift up my hands as long as he lives. He is saying that all of his life, in every area of his life, he's praising God. He's worshiping God. Uh, let me just maybe illustrate this uh, this way. Uh, many of you work in healthcare, and you will know that there are emergency care and there's preventive care. Okay, I, I speak as someone that doesn't know, so please forgive me if I. <coughs> but you know, in emergency care you're there because you're dying and you're bleeding to death and there's something immediately needs to be done to stop the bleeding or or revive your heart or something that needs to be done right away so that you can stay alive. And then in preventive care, you do not really treat a specific condition, but you go to your doctor regularly to do uh, regular screening and testing so that your overall health is good uh, that the doctor can monitor whatever is going on in your in your body in your uh, mind, so that when when those hard times strike, hopefully you don't get to emergency. Hopefully your body is good enough so that you can you can uh, overcome that. I, what David's saying is that he's doing both of those things. So when he tra- when he draws by faith, he's uh, sweet communion with God in time of struggle time of deep distress. He's saying, "I'm doing emergency care on my soul." He's saying, "I'm about to die; Abelson's after me. I have nowhere to go. I'm in this blazing desert, well, or freezing desert at night. I, ha- I got nowhere to go, so I need some emergency care." So he's saying, "By faith, I'm going to look back to the time where I was blessed by God. I was drawn on His grace." But he's also saying, "You cannot really just do that, though. Uh, you cannot just on live on emergency care as it were. You have to throw your life." have this preventive care of sweet communion and worship of God throughout your life, every area of your life, every day of your life, through, the wor- through reading of the word, praying, through communion with the community of other Christians. You, you cannot really live on emergency care. You need to make sure that y- the health of your soul, the health of your overall uh, spiritual s- condition is, is good. Through the, quote-unquote, regular screening, you, as it were, of your soul. So our first point, how do we get this deep joy? We get this deep joy through worship, through both drawing on the deep, sweet communion you've had in the past and also throughout your whole life through this preventive care, just constantly worshiping communion with God as you go. Secondly, you get this joy through meditation. Um, It's in verse 6, David gives this uh, key to joy, meditation. He says here, that when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, remembering, meditating. Um, so, David is, uh, uh, he goes on to say, of course, in verse 7, that he is not simply just sitting there and thinking, Oh God, oh God, just saying, he is actually filling his mind with who God is, what God has, do- what has God done for him in the past. He's sitting on his bed, as many of you have and, m- and I have, couldn't sleep, and thinking, what should I fix my mind on? What should I be thinking at this moment? Of course, we are naturally gravitating towards solving our problems in bed, just thinking and thinking. But David says, well, maybe I've, I've done that, and now I need to fix my mind on God. And not just emptying my mind, they just say, well, everything's all right just forget it. You know, uh, you'll know, you be okay. Tomorrow's a new day. Everything will be okay. Just go to, go to bed. And you know that doesn't put you to bed. You can tell yourself many times, it's going to be okay. Tomorrow's a new day, but you still can't sleep. But David says, I am fi- filling my mind with what, who God is and with what he's done for me in the past because he says, you know, in your wings I'll take refuge. Your steadfast love is better than life. He, He says that in the biblical sense also, that meditation does not simply, it's not really uh, emptying your mind just throughout all the worries as if you can just get rid of them on the spot. But actually, filling your mind with God and what he's done for you personally and replace the anxious thoughts with, with those thoughts It's not because, you know, our troubles aren't important. It is because there's something more important. It's someone that's more important that we need to fix our minds on. So David is doing... In his, you might say, um, time in his private life. You know, he's not in front of the, uh, his servants. He's not really acting as a king. He's in, by himself in the desert, fixing, fixing his mind on God and what, he, what he's done for him. And that's really what meditation is all about. It is really, uh, this is a time, if you're a Christian, it's a time, it's good for, for you and I to have some questions, ask ourselves some questions, pardon me, ask ourselves some questions about our own. Uh, private life, you might say. So what do you think about when you are by yourself? What, where does your mind go, and where do you draw the deepest comfort when you have nothing else to think about, but you had to worry about your life? Or wh- where do you go when you can't sleep, uh, when you just couldn't figure out what to do? Where do you draw your deepest comfort when you don't have to present? You know, you can fool people in public for a long time, with how spiritual you are, you know. And uh, I can stand here and act like I'm very spiritual, but in, in your own private prayer life, in your own uh, you might say, the deepest nights of with no sleep, where you really can't hide from who you are. What your mind where your mind goes, what you meditate on those times reveals to yourself who you really are and where where are y- who are you? And what do you think about in those times? And and, and and David says that is what matters the most, meditation those times. And that's why uh, Archbishop William Temple, you might have heard this, he says re- religion is what you do with your solitude. Religion is what you do with your solitude. I, it's not really about how, uh, it's great to worship together, of course, of course, it's, it's but it's really not all about how uh, on fire you are, you might say, in public, but it's, how really captivated you are by God in private. How are you captivated by, uh, in your mind, in your thought of life? Are you more captivated by troubles in life, or are you more captivated by Christ and by God? And this meditation, before we move on to our third point, leads to something that you and I all need, whether actually you're a Christian or not, is deep satisfaction. In verse f- uh, 5, uh, David says, "My soul will be satisfied as with ri- fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips." What? He he's in the desert. He's there's no food. Is he out of his mind? I mean, what is he saying? He, y- y- I mean, you like David? You need to go get some bread. What what are you saying? But he, he is saying something though uh, that actually is pretty true to us for uh, for you and I uh, spiritually, even. Even if you're not a Christian, actually, he's saying that the physical desert he's in, the barrenness, the forsakenness, the distance from God, is actually a uh, physical picture of his spiritual condition. He's saying that spiritually speaking, you and I are all in a wilderness. We're unable to bring ourselves back to God. We are in a place where there's no sustenance. We don't have food. We don't have uh, water. We're we're dying in the desert, as we just saw earlier. We're wandering in the desert. Can't find a, home, uh, a homeland that we don't know how to seek. We can't find it. David's saying that that's actually where we are spiritually, all of us. And non- whether you're a Christian or not, uh, uh, the famous poet Wallace Stevens said in his uh, poem Sunday morning that in contentment I still feel the need of some imperishable bliss. In contentment I still feel a need for some imperishable bliss. He's saying all of us, it doesn't matter who we are, we know that this world is kind of a wilderness, quote unquote, that we, we, we look for satisfaction, and we can't find it. And if you are, you know, most of most of you, uh, you know, are in your adult life now, and you, you probably are beginning to feel the kind of, you might say, the uh, elusiveness of satisfaction. It's a bit like grabbing onto sand that you try to hold in your hand, but you just they just escape them, and you do it again, they do it again you just you try to grab on different <laughs> different to go to a different area of the beach, you try to grab the sand it goes through your fingers over and over and over and that's what uh um, Stevens is saying that's really w- who you are, who we are is that we look for satisfaction, but we can't find them because how do you find food in a desert? how do you find drink in the desert you d- you cannot and so but what David is saying, though, that he's fixing his eyes, uh, the eyes, not on his body, but the eyes of his faith, to something beyond this world. If you can't find that in this world, then he's fixing his eyes to something beyond this world. He's saying that there is someone outside of this world that who can satisfy me, who has done that. He's saying, it's not just so that I imagine, oh, God will satisfy me. He's saying, no, I have felt that when I worship God, when I remember when he was drawing on the sweet communion. So he says, that has God has proven himself to be faithful. He has proven himself to be the sustenance that I need. Therefore, I know, I have confidence that even though I'm in the wilderness, spiritually speaking and physically speaking, even though you and I are in the desert in the wilderness, spiritually speaking, you can find that. And if you're not a Christian, and if all of your endeavors to find satisfaction have skipped through your fingers like the sand, I just want to say, why not try this? Why not look, or look outside the confines of the world to see if that actually satisfies? So now our first two points, how do we get deep joy? We get deep joy through worshiping, through drawing upon your deep communion with God in the past, but also worshiping all of your life. And then we get deep joy through meditating, through meditating uh, on who God is or what he's done for you and not just meditating or thinking about your troubles. Of course, we should do that. And uh, lastly, we get this deep joy, this lasting, satisfying joy through trusting, and it's a trusting of a particular kind. It's trusting God's justice. Uh, In the the very end of the Mm -hmm. psalm, (laughs) verse 9 to 11 probably makes you start a little bit. It's like, oh, David, what in the world? He's (laughs) saying, but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king himself shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult. For the mouth of liars will be stopped. You and I, m- modern people, say, Ooh, David, up, up to verse 8, I'm listening to you. Now you have lost me. This is harsh and cruel. What are you thinking? You know, you Don't do that. Just tell me to meditate on God. Tell me to, to you know, worship. Don't tell me about this vengeance. This is what I don't like. Um, but uh, actually, if you think about it for a second, actually n- nothing threatens your joy more. Sorry. Nothing threatens your joy more than being su- uh, being subject to injustice. The victim, if you're a victim of injustice, how do you find joy? How? It's hard to find joy, isn't it, if you are actually being oppressed, you're being mistreated, mis- misunderstood, any form of injustice, because that's not the way it's supposed to be. You know that, and I know that. You know that injustice should not be. This is not how the world is. So if you are a victim of it, or you, you know some other people are, you know joy is hard to find when you're in that situation. So what, what do I do here? I want to say that the vengeance of God, that uh, you might say the the doctrine of the wrath of God in the Bible, is actually good news for a broken world, a world filled with injustice. H- here's what I mean. Just bear bear with me for a second. Miroslav um, Wolf is a Croatian theologian who wrote a very famous book called "Exclusion and Embrace," and in it he 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 says that. Um, uh, let me let me find my spot here. Here, here we go. Uh, he also taught at Yale Divinity School, which everything's about Yale today, I guess. But um, so in it, he says that the person, uh, it uh, shows that the idea that God's vengeance is a bad thing. He says that the idea that God's wrath and vengeance is a bad thing is actually a sign of, or, or influenced by a very comfortable, safe, uh, affluent suburban life than the reality of, li- uh, of, of the world. He says that the person who is inclined to dismiss the idea of divine vengeance to imagine, quote, that you're delivering a lecture in a war zone. Among your listeners are people whose cities and villages have been first plundered, then burned and leveled to the ground, whose daughters and sisters have been raped, whose fathers and brothers have had their throats sl- slit. The topic of the lecture a Christian attitude toward violence. The thesis You should not retaliate, since God is perfect, non-coercive love. Soon you will discover, he says, I'm quoting him still, soon you will uh, discover that it takes quite a suburban home protected by police and military force for the birth of the thesis that human nonviolence corresponds to God's refusal to judge. In a scorched land, soaked in the blood of the innocent, evil invariably die. Wolf is saying, do you hear, that to the victim of injustice, to those who have experienced it, to those who have witnessed it, God's vengeance, the perfect, holy and wise God's vengeance is actually good news. This is not to say we should be passive. It's not to say, well, God's going to deliver us. We never should work for justice. No. But he's saying that we should work through justice with the, with the background, the context of God's perfect justice, because you and I know that as much as you and I want to be Deliverer or bringer of justice. You and I are broken people as well. So when you and I work for justice, we still will hurt people on the way. We still will not bring perfect justice, as much as we want to, as much as pure as our intentions can be. We still cannot bring about that perfect justice. So how do we go from it? Do we just say, "Well, no justice? Heck with it!" You know, people are being killed, their homes being burned. No big deal? No, it's a big deal, but it's only a big deal because we know one day everything will be okay. And because of that, we can work for that here. And because of the David says, you get your joy. uh, So we said, now only by joining from uh, uh, (laughs) uh, worshiping God, by joining from his sweet communion with Him in the past, and by worshiping Him all your life. You get joy not only through meditation, through Deep meditation on who God is, what He's done for you, but also through a trusting of His justice, knowing that even if you're in a situation like He was, or in a situation maybe you are in, that you can trust Him. Now, at this point, uh, if up to this point, where I said uh, worship, meditation, and trust, and you say, "Well, that's that's good," here's the three-step manual to joy, and that you will be mistaken, and that was that's actually be a fatal mistake if you think that so far I'm just saying, "Well, now here." Take this and do likewise. Uh, No. Here's what I mean. Uh, Like I just mentioned, you and I know that with the best intentions, with the best uh, schedule, you know, you you try to schedule time in the Word, you try to work for justice, but you know that things just get in the way, things don't work out. Even even in our best efforts, you know we cannot worship, meditate, or trust God perfectly. You know, if you ever tried, it's like the hardest thing in the world. Why is that? It's because, like David said, we are spiritually in this wilderness that we, ourselves, you and I, are in a place where even if we want to, even if we really, really desire this joy, we cannot ourselves bring that joy to us. But, but if you look to a different wilderness, even to, to a different David, you must say, a person from David's line, and you find the answer how you can actually get there. So in both Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospel, we read Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan. And then what happens right after that? He was led by the Spirit to the wilderness to be tempted. And he fought Satan himself for 40 days with no food, no drink. Angels ministered to him. He was hungry. He was thirsty. But he won. He did not give in. He he was perfect, so at this point, what do you think he would have deserved? A person who withstood every temptation, a person who perfectly fought against Satan and won. What would he have deserved? A perfect life, right? A, a blessed life, a life of immeasurable blessing, a life of joy. You would think that that's what he deserved, and it is. But what did he get, though? Every step he took, he met with rejection uh, in his hometown. He was deserted by his disciples. He was betrayed by one of his closest friends. And at the end of his life, he, he was hung on the Roman cross and died a death of the criminal. Do you see? He deserved joy. And he got death on a cross. And we read in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Here's what it says. Therefore, Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with the endurance race that is set before us." And here is a key point. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Did you hear that? Joy. Jesus looked at the cross and he saw joy. The cross is not joyful. He cried on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Wh- wh- why would the writer of Hebrews say he saw joy? What is his joy? Who is his joy? You, me, you is are his joy. That's why he went to the cross. He didn't want the cross because the cross is, you know, a walk in the park. No, he went to the cross because he earned the life of joy that you and I cannot because we're in the wilderness. Now in Him, in faith in Him, and you can have that life of joy because He has took on the punishment that you and I actually deserve. We de- we deserve to be in the, de- in the desert, but He says, "No, I'm going out to get you." And now on in Him, only in Him, can you truly worship, meditate, and trust Him every day. And when you don't do that perfectly, He forgives you. Only that, in His grace, can you do that every day. So in A way way of conclusion, we said that in Christ, you can truly worship, meditate, and trust God. And I I just want to leave you uh, with these couple of things, practical things. If you're not a Christian, and I'm so glad you're here, and you have Christian friends, and uh, I'm so happy that you're in contact with them. And if you're here looking for joy, looking for happiness, don't stop. Keep looking. Keep seeking. And in Christ, you'll find it. And don't stop until you, h- you find it in your heart. And if you, you are a Christian, I want to encourage you that do not let guilt or, <laughs> you know, because I'm a Christian, I have to do this, drive you to what, I ca- what we call you to do here. But let Christ's love for you, seeing you as his joy, drive you to the deep joy that you need. Let that drive you through worship, through meditation, through trust, day by day, more and more, every day, every step, small step towards him, towards that deep joy, and you, you know that you find that joy in this life and in the next life. Let's pray. Um, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your Son, who tasted the death on the cross for us, went to the desert for us, that we can find deep joy. Let us all, um, with deep gratitude for your grace, worship you, meditate on who you are and what you've done for us and in Christ, and trust you in your justice. In Jesus' name amen now if you uh, flip the